Okay, so today uh, we'll take a look at chapter 22. It talks about taking care of neighbor's uh, property in verses one through four. And verse five speaks about uh, address code. Then after that, uh, there are a few verses that talk about the principle of separation. And a big part of the chapter uh, speaks about sexual uh, purity. And there are five scenarios that are given and how we should uh, deal with the different uh, scenarios. And as we said before, as Moses is taking us uh, to, through these chapters, uh, he's trying to apply the Ten Commandments to different uh, scenarios. So the basic uh, principles are very similar to what we have seen before. But uh, here uh, we see that uh, commandment number seven, that we should not commit adultery. Number eight, thou shall not steal. And number 10, thou shall not covet. So these three commandments are applied in specific scenarios. Uh, to see what decisions uh, we should take or what should be the guidelines. And we also see the second of the two greatest commandment, which is to love our neighbor, which can be seen applied in these verses. So in verses uh, one through four, uh, that's where we will start. Uh, it speaks about how we need to respect a neighbor's uh, property or anything that belongs to someone else. Uh, what should be our responsibility or what should be our approach. Yeah, so verses one through four uh, speak about some basic uh, uh, morals that we should have when we find something that doesn't belong to us. And oftentimes, if we find something that doesn't belong to us, we may simply be uh, tempted to keep it or we may be tempted to ignore it. But here we are specifically told uh, that if an item is found, how we should deal with it. So if a lost item is found, uh, the guideline is that we should not keep it. Uh, obviously that will break uh, one of the 10 commandments that we should not steal. And more than that, uh, we should make uh, every effort to return it uh, to the owner. And if the owner is not known or he cannot be found, then we should take care of that uh, until the owner seeks it or unless uh, we can find the owner. And the same basic principle is applied, uh, whether it's an ox or a sheep or ass or raiment. And by assumption, we can say that this principle applies to uh, anything that you find that doesn't belong to you, uh, which belongs to your neighbor or brother, which can be defined in a broad sense, uh, anything that uh, belongs to someone else uh, in the community, uh, you need to return it, you need to take care of it. And it also applies to enemies, as we read in Exodus uh, 23, 4. Uh, if thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, uh, thou shalt surely uh, bring it back to him uh, again. So we see that the Bible uh, sets a very high standards uh, for believers in the way we treat uh, others, whether they are friends, whether they are enemies, whether they are strangers. Uh, as we read in Leviticus 19, 18, uh, thou shalt love thy neighbors as thyself. And obviously we love ourselves uh, the most or the with the highest uh, standards. And the Lord expects us to have the same approach, to have the same uh, standards when we are dealing with others. And it goes on to say, if you see an animal that has fallen, uh, you should pick it up. And obviously that would be an inconvenience uh, if the animal has fallen in a ditch or if it is stuck uh, in the tree or bushes or whatever it is, 
Uh, obviously, that would be an inconvenience, but here the command is given that uh, you need to love your neighbor, you need to love that animal, and you cannot simply ignore and walk away. And we see that that principle is picked up uh, in the New Testament when we read the parable about the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Uh, it says in verse uh, 33 and 34, uh, a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And the verses uh, before that tell us that uh, others who looked at the same uh, situation, uh, they simply ignored and kept uh, walking on. But this person, he stopped and he had compassion on that person. And it goes on to say he bound up his wounds, uh, poured in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So that is the same Old Testament principle that if you find something, uh, you have to take care of it and you have to extend love. Uh, not only to the people you know, but also to the strangers and also to the enemies. And anytime we are extending love to anyone, uh, it will cost us uh, in terms of time. It could be money or it could be basic uh, inconvenience. Uh, but that is one way in which we uh, distinguish ourselves uh, from the people of this world by having higher standards in terms of how we are responding to different situations. And verse five may seem a little bit controversial, but we'll see what the principle is uh, when it speaks about uh, having a dress code in verse five. Yeah, so obviously we don't see that uh, in today's world. We see a lot of interchange uh, that is happening. But when we look at the Old Testament, this uh, law or this uh, commandment is given or guideline is given that a woman should not wear uh, what belongs to a man, and a man should not wear uh, what belongs to a woman. So we should not get caught up uh, in the specifics, but we need to understand the basic uh, principle or what is being communicated here. And when we go back to Genesis, uh, we see that men and women, uh, they both were created equal, but at the same time, uh, they were created as uh, unique uh, human beings. So man and woman are separate in that sense that they both have their own identity. Uh, they have their own image uh, in which they were created. And the main goal of this uh, verse five is to maintain uh, gender uh, distinction so that when you look at someone, uh, you should be able to say whether they are man or woman or in the image uh, that they were created by God. So the emphasis uh, may not be on the actual dress uh, that is worn by the man or woman, but the greater uh, principle here uh, is that the gender uh, distinction should be maintained. So if that is the case, uh, any kind of cross-dressing or gender neutral dresses, or if you're changing your dress uh, to look like someone else, like a man is trying to look uh, like a woman, or a woman is trying to look like a man, or if it is done uh, to please uh, gods or idols or part of pagan worship, then that is something that is considered uh, abominable. So we should be proud of the identity that the Lord has given us, whether it's male or female, and that should be revealed uh, even in the way we dress, and we should take pride in whether we are man or a woman, uh, whatever that case may be. 
And oftentimes we may say that there is a dress code for the church, but obviously the Bible does not say that when you're coming to church, uh, you need to have uh, a certain dress code. But at the same time, the scripture is very clear that there should be uh, modesty and there should be a, a certain level of decency uh, that is expected uh, among believers, uh, not only when they're coming to church, but also when they are interacting in the society. Uh, there should be a standard that is set by believers uh, in terms of modesty and decency. So it's good to respect uh, whatever the culture is uh, in the society or in the church, but at the same time, we should not compromise uh, the modesty and the decency. And that is what Timothy, Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 9 and 10. He says, I want, want the women to dress modestly and with decency. And he goes on to say in verse 10, because the focus uh, is to worship God, uh, even through the way we dress. So we can extend that uh, to also men, not just to the women. Uh, the way we dress uh, should be modest and it should be decent. And our way of dressing uh, should not have any uh, sinful intentions or sinful connotations, or it should not cause others uh, to be tempted, uh, whether we are men or women. So we know that when we read in Proverbs, uh, it speaks about women uh, being dressed uh, in a certain way uh, where the intention is sinful uh, to attract men or to tempt men. And obviously that should not be seen uh, among believers. Uh, our intens intentions uh, should be pure, uh, even when it comes to dressing. And the way we dress uh, should not be a stumbling block uh, for others. Uh, when we come to the New Testament, we also see some uh, other things which may apply uh, when it speaks about hair. In 1 Corinthians 11, 14, it says that the men uh, should not have long hair uh, because that is a disgrace uh, to him. And it talks about women uh, shaving their head, uh, which is, again, a disgrace uh, for women. And verse uh, 6 through 8, uh, it goes on to a different subject. Uh, we talked about showing kindness uh, to our neighbors. And in verses six to seven, uh, it speaks about showing kindness to birds. And verse eight, uh, it speaks about safety guidelines. Uh, again, with the intent uh, of being good uh, to our guest or whoever comes. Okay, so again, uh, this seems like a trivial uh, situation, but it again reminds us that God is mindful of the small things. Uh, that happen in this world. So oftentimes uh, we would see a bird's nest or we would see a bird uh, here and there. And here the Lord is reminding us that we need to take care of uh, even those birds uh, because even they uh, were created by God. So in this case, uh, this, uh, it's possible that the stranger or someone who is walking by, uh, he sees a bird sitting on the eggs and it's possible that uh, he is looking at it uh, as a way to uh, satisfy himself uh, for his food. So the guideline that is given is that uh, they can eat the egg, uh, but they should not kill the mother bird. And again, it goes back to the previous section, uh, previous chapter where we talked about uh, when they are going to war uh, against, uh, against a region, 
uh, they should not destroy the trees uh, that will yield the fruit because you want to sustain uh, God's provision. Uh, in the same way, uh, here the guideline is given that we should not kill the mother bird so that uh, the species can be preserved or conserved for a longer time. So we need to be good uh, stewards of everything that God has created. Uh, we need to be good stewards of everything that the Lord has given us. And we should always uh, have the understanding that everything is coming from God. And if God has given us something, uh, it is up to us uh, to take good care of it, whether it's the neighbors, whether it's the environment, uh, whether it is the animals or whatever it is. And surprisingly, there is also a promise uh, attached to this. Uh, it says, thou mayest uh, prolong thy days by even following this simple command of taking care of the birds. And that is the same blessing that is given to children. It says when children obey their parents, uh, they will prolong their days. So we can see that uh, even for this, uh, the same blessing is associated uh, with taking care of God's creation. And in verse eight, uh, it says, when you build a new house, then you shall make a battlement uh, for thy roof or some kind of railing uh, for your roof so that you don't bring blood uh, upon your house if any man fall from thence. So it's speaking about uh, a roof where uh, people may gather for social events, uh, it could be kids or it could be adults. So we are given a practical guideline that every roof uh, should also have rail guards uh, so that people don't fall off uh, accidentally and lose their life. And we've seen from the previous chapter that uh, when blood is shed, uh, the guilt of blood uh, will affect that family. So to avoid that guilt of bloodshed, uh, we need to take some precautions. And in this case, uh, we need to have some rail guards so that nobody falls off uh, accidentally. And the bigger implication, obviously, is that we need to have a hedge uh, even around our life uh, so that we can protect uh, our spiritual life uh, from going downstream or going off the roof, so to speak, and falling down. Yeah, so again, we are given four uh, instances here. And it may not be very obvious uh, what uh, the law is all about, uh, but at least one thing we can get uh, is that the emphasis is on some kind of separation uh, between two groups. And that is what we see here. Uh, do not uh, mix the seeds. Uh, in this case, uh, do not mix different uh, types of seed. So that could be to maintain the purity of harvest. So if you mix everything up, then when the harvest time comes, then everything will be mixed up. Then it speaks about not to partner an ox uh, with a donkey for plowing. So again, there is a distinction that is made uh, between an animal uh, that is clean, which is the ox as per Leviticus 11, and a donkey that is considered unclean. Or it, we could see it as uh, mixing uh, two different animals, one that is strong and one that is weak. And again, when it comes to clothing, it speaks about not to mix garments of wool and linen. And in verse 12, uh, it speaks about the clothing again, uh, where the Jewish people, they were required to make tassels on four corners. 
And again, the idea was to reveal to others uh, who they are. So just like we talked about the distinction in dresses between men and women. So here uh, the guideline is given so that uh, when people look at them, they will know that they are Jewish. And also for them to remember when they look at the tassels, uh, they need to remember that they are the chosen generation uh, that who are called out. And when we come to the New Testament, again, we see the principle of separation that is uh, laid out to us uh, very clearly. And the separation, as we have seen here, uh, it shows a distinction. But as we read uh, throughout the scriptures, uh, the separation uh, from this world uh, also leads to holiness. And separation also leads uh, to a testimony that is pure and that is uh, seen as a light uh, in this world. So the scripture uh, reminds us that we need to live a life uh, that is separated. And the idea again uh, is to protect us uh, from the temptations, uh, protect us uh, from the sins of this world. So what we have is the spiritual wealth. And if we don't live a separated life, uh, then the spiritual wealth can be easily uh, diminished. Uh, it can lose its power uh, if we continue to intermingle or mix uh, with this world. So we often read this words from 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 14 through 17. Uh, it again speaks about uh, uh, two questions, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, uh, what communion hath light uh, with uh, darkness. And of course, uh, we are living in a world which is very dark and we are living in a society where many people are unrighteous but here, uh, the call that is given is that uh, we can be friendly uh, with different people in this world, but we should not have uh, intimate uh, fellowship or we should not have deep uh, friendships with the people of this world because eventually they'll uh, take us out. Uh, they will draw us back uh, into the world. They will draw us back into sin and darkness. So in verse 17, it says, uh, wherefore come out from among them and be separate, uh, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And that is the commandment that Abraham received uh, when, we was, when he was called out in Genesis 12.1. Uh, uh, we see a similar language. Uh, the Lord said to Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So God was taking him out from something that was familiar and God wanted him to take him to a land uh, that was prepared by God. But in order to do that, uh, he had to separate himself from his country, his kindred and his father's house. And that is the same expectation for us. Uh, if you want to enjoy the blessings of the promised land, if you want to enjoy the blessings of God, then we need to separate ourselves uh, from the world and have a unique uh, identity and have a life that speaks of holiness. And the next uh, part of the chapter from 13 till the very end, uh, it speaks about uh, purity, uh, in a, uh, sexual purity or moral purity uh, in the context of marriage and in the context uh, of relationships. And it speaks about uh, four uh, different scenarios. So we'll take a look at that. So we'll start with by reading it, then we can go through it. So again, a lot of details are given, but again, this is not something new. Uh, we see it uh, throughout the scriptures. 
uh, that the sanctity of marriage uh, is held at a very high level and the purity in relationship is also held uh, at a very high level. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we also see how these laws and guidelines, uh, they are designed to uh, protect the women, but at the same time, they're also designed to punish uh, those who are guilty uh, of breaking the sanctity of marriage or being guilty of practicing uh, anything that is impure uh, in a relationship. So the first section uh, speaks before we get that. So we know that uh, marriage uh, is established by God and it is honorable in his eyes. So obviously uh, it's an institution that was created by God right from the book of Genesis. So obviously it's something that is good uh, in God's eyes uh, when it happens. Uh, but at the same time, we see that uh, sexual purity uh, is critical for healthy marriages, and it is also critical for building uh, strong families. And we also see uh, in the re real world, uh, when there is adultery within a marriage, uh, it will destroy the marriage. And by default, uh, it will also weaken the families and it will weaken the marriage. Uh, as an institution that was uh, designed by God. So in the first section, uh, we uh, read about a virgin bride and how uh, it is seen as a protection to a bride that is innocent. But if the bride is guilty of not being a virgin, then she is uh, punished. So virginity is something that is valued and that is also expected uh, before marriage. And if that is not true, uh, in these verses, we see uh, what are the guidelines and how it is dealt with uh, in that situation. So in this case, uh, as we read, uh, if a bride is uh, not a virgin, then the husband, uh, he feels cheated, uh, that uh, he has not been given a pure bride uh, as he expected, and he would have also paid money to acquire the bride uh, from the father. So he feels uh, cheated at both levels that he has paid money and he has received something that doesn't meet uh, his expectations. So he feels that uh, he has been deceived or there has been some kind of fraud. So in that case, uh, he can bring a charge uh, to the elders or to whoever is delivering justice that accusing his bride of adultery. So if the bride is found uh, guilty, or if she's not able to prove that she was a virgin on the wedding night, uh, which would imply that she had uh, some relationship uh, before marriage, or she had an intimate relationship before marriage. And if that is the case, uh, she will be uh, stoned to death. So that would be the consequence of entering into a marriage uh, with a prior relationship, which was intimate uh, in that case. But uh, the second scenario could be where the husband, he has lost interest uh, in the bride and he uses this as an excuse uh, to get out of that marriage or to get out of that uh, relationship. And if that is the case, then uh, if he's found guilty of lying or deceiving or slandering uh, his bride, then he should pay a fine to his father-in-law, which is a hundred uh, shekels of silver. Uh, which is double the average uh, bridal gift. So that is the penalty for lying or slandering his bride. 
And also verse 19 says that he cannot divorce her all his days. So he has to remain faithful and he has to remain uh, committed uh, to the covenant or the promise that he made uh, all his lives. So we see that uh, these guidelines, uh, they protect uh, innocent brides from abusive husbands uh, who are not willing to honor the marriage covenant or who are simply lying to spoil the uh, reputation of the bride. And at the same time, the law uh, has a strong punishment uh, for a woman uh, who enters a marriage uh, with a prior relationship, which she has not disclosed or which is deceives him. And in verses uh, 22 to 29, uh, it speaks about four scenarios uh, where uh, sexual intimacy is compromised and what is the consequence of that. So it speaks about four scenarios. The first one is where there is adultery uh, among consenting adults. And in that case, both are uh, deemed to be guilty and they are punished, uh, which would be being stoned to death. And the second one would be a relationship between a woman who is engaged uh, and a man. And it looks at two scenarios, so we'll take a look at that. And the third one uh, is a sexual relationship uh, with a virgin who is not engaged or married. Uh, in that case, uh, the man will have to pay the father uh, money and he must also marry her. And the last scenario speaks about uh, incest, uh, which is uh, prohibited. Okay, so the first one uh, is we find in verse 22, which is a simple case uh, of adultery where a man is found in a relationship uh, with a married woman. And in this case, the consequence of that is that both the man and the woman uh, are put to death. And it again goes back to the guidelines that we see in other places, uh, like in Leviticus uh, 20 and verse 10, it says, a man that committed adultery with another man's wife, uh, even he that has committed adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress uh, shall be put to death and they will be put to death uh, by being stoned to death. But when we come to the New Testament, it's a little bit strange that uh, only the woman uh, in chapter eight, uh, only the woman was brought uh, before Jesus uh, and they accused her of adultery. But the men who participated in the act, uh, obviously they were shielded or they were not uh, brought forward. But the uh, Old Testament is clear that both the guilty parties uh, should be punished uh, with death. And we also see that in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17, uh, verses 5 through 7, uh, it again speaks about the same uh, principle uh, that they should be stoned to death. And in John chapter 8 and verse 7, which is the verse where Jesus and woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus. And he says, he that is without sin among you, uh, let him first uh, cast a stone uh, at her. So here Jesus takes on the responsibility or justice uh, away from the people because none of them were without sin. So none of them could cast a stone at her. And Jesus uh, forgave that woman, uh, even though she was caught in adultery. Yes, again, we see that uh, here uh, it is given in the context of an engaged uh, woman who's already engaged. 
And we see that in the Bible, uh, engagement is considered uh, equal uh, to a married uh, relationship. So once you're engaged, uh, it is considered uh, equivalent to a marriage. So if a person who is engaged, uh, if they are involved uh, in an intimate relationship with someone else, then that would be considered uh, adultery. So in this case, uh, we are given two scenarios, uh, one where the engaged uh, woman is found with a man in the city in verses uh, 23 to 24. And here, uh, the scenario seems like a consensual uh, relationship where both the man and the woman who is engaged to someone else uh, want to engage uh, in this uh, activity, which is outside the marriage. So in that sense, both are guilty of adultery. So even though the woman is not married at that, at that point, uh, she's already engaged to someone uh, which is equivalent to marriage. So in this case, they both are guilty of adultery and they would be stoned to death. And the woman is considered guilty because this act is taking place uh, in the city. Uh, presumably in the city, there are many people walking around. And if she wanted to get out of that situation, uh, she could have cried for help. And since uh, she didn't do that, the assumption is uh, it was a consensual act between the two parties. And the second case uh, is also where with an engaged uh, woman, but in this case, uh, it is considered a rape uh, because uh, in verse 25, it says the man forces and lies with her, uh, which suggests uh, rape. And in this case, uh, only the man is found guilty and here it's happening uh, in the field. So the assumption is uh, the woman, did, she did not have an opportunity uh, to cry for help or to ask for help. So in this case, uh, it is considered a rape and only the man is found guilty. And in verse uh, 28 and 29, uh, it again speaks about an intimate uh, relationship uh, with a woman. But in this case, the woman is not yet engaged or married. So in that sense, uh, it is not uh, adultery. So it could be either consensual or it could be uh, a forced rape. But in either case, uh, the man will adopt that woman uh, as his wife uh, by giving the father of the woman uh, 50 uh, shekels of silver. And that was the practice uh, in those days. Uh, the father uh, is considered as the owner or the guardian of his children. So when he's giving up on uh, any of his daughters, then the bride, the, the price for the bride needs to be paid. And in this case, it is 50 shekels of silver and she becomes his wife and he cannot uh, walk away. So, so again, the principle is uh, you cannot be committing uh, random acts of intimacy with whoever you like or whoever you see or just for your short-term pleasures. There are long-term uh, consequences uh, for the woman. There are long-term consequences for the man. And all of these guidelines were set in place, uh, again, to enforce uh, the sanctity of marriage and to make sure that people don't take relationship uh, in a very light way. And in Hebrews uh, 13 and verse 4, it reminds us uh, marriage is honorable in all and the bed uh, undefiled, but warmongers and adulterers, uh, God will judge. So we see that the basic uh, principles that were given to us uh, in the Ten Commandments 
and explained to us in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Uh, they are carried forward uh, in the New Testament also. And again, we are reminded that marriage is something that was instituted by God uh, for his children. But anything that defiles the marriage, uh, God will judge uh, in his. And the last uh, section, last verse, uh, speaks about uh, incest. It says, a man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's good. So incest would be any kind of uh, intimacy with someone uh, whom you cannot marry legally. So generally that would be uh, your family members. And this would be common, uh, at least in those days, when the father had multiple wives. And it's quite possible that the stepmother uh, is not very old. So she might be the same age or similar age uh, as the children from the first marriage. And if that is the case, it's quite possible that the children or the sons uh, may be attracted to the stepmother or they might be attracted uh, to the stepsister. And if that is the case, that would be considered an incest, uh, which is uh, prohibited. And even today, we see many uh, blended marriages where people have divorced and they come back and marry someone else and they bring together two families. And if that is the case, it's quite possible that there might be some attraction uh, among the steps, brothers and sisters, or between the sons and stepmother and so on. So the guidelines are given for us. And again, we find many verses in both in the Old and the New Testament, uh, reminding us that that is something that is abominable, uh, something that is not acceptable uh, in God's eyes. Uh, like in even in 1 Corinthians 5.1, it says, uh, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named uh, among the Gentiles that one should have is father's wife. So we see that the guidelines that were given during the times of Moses, uh, they were continuing the same kind of sins, were continuing even in the New Testament. And obviously, even today, uh, we see uh, many of the sins uh, that we talked about, about sexual immorality among people, uh, they continue to exist uh, because people are not following the guidelines that are given in the scriptures. So that is what uh, chapter 22 is about. Uh, it speaks about caring for a neighbor's uh, property. So if you find something uh, that was lost and it doesn't belong to you, then you need to give it back to the person and if you cannot find that person, then you should uh, take care of that uh, property, whatever it is, uh, till you find that person. And in verse five, we talked about uh, dress uh, code. And again, the emphasis on the dress is that the distinction between man and woman should be clear. And a man should not try to project himself as a woman, or a woman should not try to project himself herself uh, as a man. So the idea is not simply about wearing uh, pants or wearing skirts or whatever it is, but the idea is to maintain the distinction between the two sexes or two genders, uh, just as God designed. And we talked about the separation principle that we need to be separated uh, from this world, uh, again, to maintain our identity and also to pursue holiness. Uh, which is what the Lord expects. And we ended with uh, different scenarios that focused on sexual uh, purity 
And again, the idea is that the purity should be maintained uh, within the context uh, of marriage. And even if you're not married, uh, the purity should be maintained uh, in any relationship uh, that we have uh, in this world. 